Morning, everyone. And uh, it's good to be back. And uh, I got home, we got home last night, so we're not even unpacked yet, but we had a lovely time uh, down in Avoca there for about 11 days. Um, hope everyone's doing well. I heard you had a great barbecue last week. And, uh, but we're looking forward with anticipation, with expectation this year about what God is going to do amongst us and in us and through us. Um, so anyone that's watching online this morning, you're very welcome as well to join us in the worship time together. I hope God richly blesses you also. I have a few announcements here. Um, first one is the, the Peru or Rwanda mission team. They want to thank everyone who came to the barbecue last Sunday. It was a great success on all fronts with the weather and the food and the fellowship. And in addition, almost a thousand pounds was donated to support the mission projects in Peru and Rwanda, a real cause for celebration. If you're not able to donate last Sunday, but you would like to do so, there are envelopes for donations in the vestibule. Thank you very much for that again. Uh, Monday, the 11th of September at 7 o'clock, the PW will be having some fun with a, a beetle drive, and our special guest speaker will be Elaine Shaw, whoever that is, don't know. <laughs> Elaine's going to be telling us about her background and her faith and what it's like being a minister's wife and how she wants to try and kill me sometimes. <laughs> please come along, please bring a friend, and please spread the word. Uh, the parents and the toddlers group is, is starting this Tuesday at a quarter to ten. Uh, please tell your family and please tell your friends. Next Sunday we have our communion service in the morning and a special service in the evening starting at half past seven. Um, special morning services, the communion, as you know, if you would like to be a communicant member of this congregation, there's a, a, a list at the back. You could put your name to it and... Uh, come along to some of the classes which would be starting, God willing, this Thursday evening. Uh, with regards to the half past, service, half past seven service next week, Walter Hope, Hope of Samaritan's Purse, he will be this guest speaker at the service and the praise will be led by waiting for Sophie. Um, and you can see the order of service for more details and we're looking forward to that very much uh, next Sunday. Uh, we've decided to run the Alpha course, as you know, in September, primarily for members of the congregation. Uh, many people, especially leaders, may be tired, feeling weary, and uh, we want to run this course in a way that will be refreshing to people, uh, a time when they don't have to carry the responsibility of be asked to do nothing at all. You can come in and say nothing as soon as you come in, and you don't have to say anything, you don't have to do anything. We just want you to enjoy it and be refreshed. And if all goes well, we hope to run another Alpha course in January, which will be primarily for, well, for those in our, com in our community, as well as those within our congregation. If you'd like to attend the September Alpha course, please fill in this little slip at the back, provide it, and drop it in the box in the vestibule of the church. And if you have any queries, please feel free to phone me. Uh, that's, that's great. And I just want to thank uh, Alvin. I want to thank Norman Hamilton. I want to thank uh, Ian McKee also for covering for me over these past three Sundays. So there's also, we're nearly finished, Kirk's session meeting this Tuesday night um, at half past seven, and that'll be on Zoom. And uh, I just, there's one more announcement which Terry wanted to announce. Just uh, give Terry a couple of wee minutes uh, to say what he has to say. Good morning, everybody. Um, you always answer me now after the thing I did before. Um, do any of you remember uh, a Ghanaian fella would have sat with us, um, an African lad? He's really become like a son to Mary and I over the last four years. Well, uh, the PWA would have uh, heard from him, if you remember. Jonathan's gone back to take up Methodist ministry um, to Ghana at the end of this month. And he's also going to be starting some businesses, a dairy farm, an engineering company, to facilitate what he wants to do. 
So Jonathan is going to be in Glastry Methodist Church tonight at a quarter to seven, given his testimony. Uh, Mary and I will be there as well. Now, Glastry is really Belly Halbert, the suburbs of Belly Halbert, and it's only 30 small miles away. And there will be a cup of tea. I think some of you might be very interested to what uh, you might hear from Jonathan. So if you want to come, quarter to seven, Belly Halbert on the outskirts. If you don't get a drop of tea at the church, you'll definitely get it at the Morrisons afterwards. So it would be lovely to see you, and I know Jonathan will welcome that. Thank you. We, as we come uh, into God's presence this morning, um, often you hear in churches, and I've probably said it myself at times, leave your troubles outside. Come in and worship the Lord and leave everything. Just leave it all outside. But really, that, that sort of gives you the impression that our, our secular life, that our Mondays to Saturdays are separate and different from our time here, and that we leave our troubles outside. But Jesus wants to be in the midst of our troubles. So I'm not telling you to leave your troubles outside this morning. I'm telling you, bring them in, but leave them down. And Christ wants to be in amongst your burdens, in amongst your worries, in amongst your, your difficult times. Just let me read Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord and do good Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. And the Hebrew in that, it, it has the idea of rolling off and rolling onto. Like if you can imagine you have a burden on your shoulders, you roll it off and you roll it onto the Lord. That's what that verse is saying. Commit your way to the Lord. Rule it off and onto his shoulders. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you know us. We thank you that you know us intimately. Father, as we come in this morning, there may be folks who have, have burdens, who have worries, who have decisions to make, and it's heavy. Lord, I pray that we may come and meet you here, that you want to be amongst us, amongst our burdens, but you want us to rule them off and rule them onto your shoulders. Help us to do that, Lord, because it's easier said than done. And Lord, we pray that we might worship you this morning and know your Spirit touching our hearts in such a real way, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to stand. We're going to exalt Jesus this morning. That's what we're here to do. We're here to exalt him and glorify him. And as we do that, he draws us to himself. Jesus, we enthrone you.
just before uh, Ben comes uh, for the children, um, just want to, on behalf of SISM, thank the congregation, thank the Kirk Session, thank everyone for their support of giving, lending out the buildings to start with, but just in every way, the meals and everything that was done by you, uh, they want to thank you very much for that. And uh, to encourage us also that because, because 28 children came to faith in Jesus Christ during SISM this year, which is wonderful. So if you'll keep them in your thoughts, keep them in your prayers as they start their wee journey with Jesus Christ. Uh, okay, but we've got, we've got a little video that SISM are wanting just to show us uh, a little taste of what was going on. Thank you so much for your uh, support of Ballycork and Sism this year. The team really could not have happened without you. We're so blessed uh, by all that you've done for us. Um, thank you so much for your support prayerfully, financially and cooking meals for us. Everything that you've done for us has been invaluable. Um, please enjoy this short video to see what we've been up to at Sism this year. Ben. Got our Bible reading first, and the reading, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. You're probably wondering in the order of service. Me and Mark happen to be doing the exact same reading, so I thought I would do it and relieve him later. So these are the words in Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, who is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Uh, okay, boys and girls, got plenty of cushions out this morning. Come on up, there's plenty of you in here. We've missed having you up at the front the last few weeks. Come on up. Oh, brilliant. Good to see you all. Come on, don't be shy. Brilliant. Oh, hello, you're a big boy and girl. What's your name? Okay, boys and girls, have you ever played Jenga? 
You have. Has anyone not played Jenga? No, everyone has. Brilliant. We are going to play Jenga. Sorry, Alice, you might get to play later. But let's go in an orderly fashion. Do you want to come first? Let's have a go. You need to take a piece out without the tar falling, right? Let's see. Choose your piece wisely. Let's see. Good choice. Ooh, ooh, moving a bit there. There you go. Very good. Oh, brilliant. There you go. And you put that piece on the top. Give her a round of applause. Do you want to come on up? All right, let's see. If they're too good at this, this might be a long service. Well done. Daisy, do you want to come on up? You want to pick your piece? Yeah. Can you reach okay? Yeah. Do you want me to do it for you? You want to go for this one? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Let's see. Oh no! The tar fell. Sorry, Daisy. Sorry, Daisy. Give her a round of applause anyway. <laughs> Boys and girls, would you believe me if I told you that something like that happened in the Bible? Oh, you do? You think they were playing Jenga? Maybe, maybe they were. You never know. No, there wasn't a Jenga tar that fell. But wait till you hear what happened. This is some story. Israel, they are the people in the Bible. They were meant to be great examples of what God's like. But they weren't. And so God sent the Babylonians. There's a big word. Can you say that? Babylonians. Babylonians. Brilliant. Look at that. Let's hear you all again. Babylonians. Babylonians. Right. Brilliant. That's who he sent. He sent the Babylonians to punish them. And you know what they did? They knocked down their walls just like this tower. They knocked down their church buildings. Can you imagine, right, if today God sent someone to, to punish Bangor and, you know, the, the town hall was destroyed and Ballycrock and Presbyterian was destroyed. It would be scary, wouldn't it, if this tower fell like the church? Well, that's what happened. And what happened was the people, they went to live with the Babylonians. Can you imagine going to live somewhere like Spain, right? Would that be fun? No? It'd be scary to live somewhere different, wouldn't it? Well, Israel, they lived in Babylon for 70 years. Some of our congregation have been alive for more than that. <laughs> they know that that is a long time. They lived away from Israel for a long time. And they thought God had abandoned them. But you know, boys and girls, God hadn't abandoned them. Because often what God does is that he knocks things down, but he remakes them. See, like I'm remaking this tower now. He remakes them, and he remakes them more like himself. And so there'll be times in your life when you're maybe a bit older where it feels like things fall out of place, but God will rebuild them back up, and you'll be more like Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? You've all listened very well. I was hoping I would have this tower built by the time I'd finished, but you get the gist. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing it. We're singing after that, so let's pray, boys and girls. Heavenly Father, I thank you that even though your people, Israel, they were, they were bad, and you punished them with the Babylonians, that even after everything fell, that you rebuilt it, and it was better and more and more like Jesus. And that's what you do with each and every one of our lives who trust in you. Pieces fall, but they're rebuilt better than they were before. And that's difficult, but help us know that you don't abandon your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to sing now, I'm in the Lord's army. So on your feet, these have some great actions. Everyone, come on, wanna march for the Lord's army?
Boys and girls, uh, uh, the Bible class can go out now to Sunday Club and Bible class is on and I hope to see you again next week. And don't forget we'll be having a family service the last Sunday of the month, so a bit of a crazy service then. So tell your friends about it, uh, your neighbours and bring them along, okay. Uh, and now your offering will be received. Thank you. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is faithful. That God, sometimes our lives feel like they're tumbling down all around us. But we thank you that you are our refuge and our strength, our present help in times of trouble. That you're amongst us, that you are with us in every stumble of life. You are there. And Father, we just pray, God, that you would take these offerings of ours Lord, small as they are in comparison to how mighty you are, but we pray that you would use them, Lord, to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to boys and girls, to teenagers, and to older people as well, Father, to the whole community and beyond to every nation. In Jesus' name, amen. And talking about crumbling buildings, I'm sure you've been watching on your televisions the last since Friday or early Saturday morning about Morocco, about Marrakesh. Uh, up to now, as far, as far as I was reading about it last night, there's 2,000 people who have, have died in the earthquake and um, over 1,000, well over 1,000 that have been injured. So if you can imagine, try and imagine that in Bangor, in a city, you know, 2,000 people grieving over loss, buildings, businesses ruined, homes devastated, families in grief, in horrendous pain. And one of the problems is that in Marrakesh that the villages are quite difficult to get to, the roads in between each village. So they're having to try and clear away some of the roads before they can even get to try and, and help those people. So we want to just pray now for those folk. And then we're going to have a little quiet moment when you might know someone in, that you are burdened for, that you are worried about, um, that just give you a moment to pray quietly in your own hearts and surrender them uh, to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, it's difficult for us 
to understand the devastation of such an earthquake of 6.8 strength. Father, we have so much here in Bangor in Northern Ireland. We are kept so safe. And yet, Father, we try to imagine, God, what it must be like to waken up this morning, to be worried about family members, to have been grieved over maybe a whole family that has been taken away. Father, what seemed so stable this time last week has just gone into rubble, and we don't know where to turn. We don't know whether to go back to homes where we can sleep, or whether we can, we, we should, because of threat of other tremors, stay out in the open and sleep out on the streets. Father, that is very difficult for us to imagine. But Father, that is um, a reality for those in Marrakesh and Morocco this morning. And God, we just want to pray that you would be with them. God, we read in your word about your arms going round about your people, and we just pray that you would comfort them. Lord, that you would strengthen them. Lord, that your grace would be sufficient for them. That, Lord, it wouldn't just be a quote from Scripture, but, Lord, that they would know the reality of your presence in this time of trouble. That they would know you as their refuge. That they would know you as their strength. We pray, God, on, on the front of, of uh, missionary organizations and charities that are trying to get there and help. Father, we pray, clear the roads that they can get there. Lord, give them the resources. Give them the strength as they work day and night, Lord, to try and, and meet every need, the need which seems so endless. At the moment, give those people that are working there the strength, God, day by day, the nurses and the doctors and engineers that are brought out, Father. Lord, we just pray that you'd be with them. And may they know, Lord, that people throughout the world are praying for them. And uh, Lord, we want also to come a bit closer home. Lord, we want to come and we do want to surrender folk in our own congregation and our own families, whether they're in our congregation or not, we bring them to you, Lord. People that we're worried about, people we're concerned about, people that are carrying burdens on their own or they feel that it's on their own. May they know your support. May they know our support. And Father, we just want to lift them to heaven this morning. And we just ask you, Lord, to listen and bow down and resolve and help them, Father, to roll off and roll on to you. We think in the quietness for a moment of, of people that we would like to raise to you. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. And God, we don't understand why things happen sometimes. But we remind ourselves of the love that God has for us, that he sent his son to go through torture and pain, that he might extend his love and support to each of us in a life-changing way. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, we're going to stand and worship God within, in Christ alone. In him is our foundation. We can cling to him. There's a psalmist where David says, my soul clings to you, God. It's like he's going through such a difficult situation. He doesn't know where to turn. He says, my soul clings to you. In Christ alone, he's our rock.
I'll not read out uh, the passage that, that Ben read uh, earlier, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, but um, before I went on holiday, I was thinking about this passage, that this is such a good passage to start a new church year with. So let me just put a wee bit of background uh, information to this story. Well, um, in 598 BC, um, Babylon came in and devastated Jerusalem, just knocked everything down, the temple, the walls. It was a bit like Morocco is at the moment. It was an absolute mess. And they took some of the folk who were what we call the creme de la creme, what Babylon thought was were going to be helpful people back in their own country, and they took them away to Babylon. And the king of Babylon, he was an evil sort of guy. But soon, well, a while, a while later, Persia took over, and they conquered, and that king was a nicer sort of fella. Uh, still, a, still a bit of a dictator, but, but a nicer sort of fella, and began to allow people to go back to Jerusalem to try and rebuild it again. So, but let me just introduce you a wee bit to, to Nehemiah, because this, this is a real story. This is a historical event. Now, Nehemiah, he was born to Jewish parents and in Persia, so he was in exile at the time. His parents had been taken there, and he held an honored and influential position. He ended up as cupbearer of the king of Persia. He tested all the drink and the food that uh, the king would drink in case it was poisoned. But the king of Persia had been allowing some of the Jews to return. And after a considerable period of time, Nehemiah, he wants to know how are things back in Jerusalem. He hasn't heard for a while. And he receives news. Some of his brothers, some of his brethren, his, his friends tell him that the walls of Jerusalem, they're still in ruins after an awful long period of time, well over 70 years. And uh, that the people are very discouraged, incredibly discouraged. And Nehemiah goes, and we're told he wept and he mourned for days, his fasting and praying, it says, before the God of heaven. And I do believe that the book of Nehemiah has much to say to our churches today, to us today, in our life situation, trying our best we're coming out of a worldwide pandemic, trying our best to make sense of it all, trying our best to rebuild the walls which have been broken, to rebuild the church, which has certainly suffered over those periods, and it's, we're still having the effects of that. And, uh, you know, you see, as people returned to Jerusalem, they began to rebuild the walls, and things were going all right. But every time they built the walls, other guys, their enemies, came in and broke them down. And those people were so utterly discouraged. They'd been building on the temple, working on the temple, but they were so discouraged, they just went, ah, oh, what's the point? And started working on their own homes and building their own homes. Well, the result was basically that people had lost heart. And Nehemiah is now concerned, and he begins to pray. And I want you to catch this with all my heart this morning. He begins to pray. And I want to look briefly this morning at how Nehemiah prays. Um, I wonder, can we have the wee PowerPoint up there, Chris? Just um, can we learn in our situation, wanting to see this church thrive, wanting to see God's life through this church, wanting to see God's hand upon our young people and, and flourish amongst our children. Is there anything that we can learn from how Nehemiah prays? Is there a challenge to us through these verses? You know, if you go to Japan, you'll see men and women visiting a Shinto shrine, and, and they'll pay a priest at least 25 pounds uh, to say a prayer for them. And, and the priest will bang a drum to get the God's attention, and then he'll say his prayer. And if you go to Taiwan, along the side of the mountain road, you're likely to find what's known as ghost money. It's a bit like monopoly money. It's money which drivers, truck drivers, can, can purchase 
um, and they throw it along these dusty, dangerous roads, hoping that it'll protect them from accidents, a form of prayer. If you travel to India, you'll find Hindus who appease the gods with food and uh, flowers and animal sacrifices. But my challenge to you, and looking at this in Nehemiah this morning, my challenge to you and to myself is, to myself, is are we guilty of using prayer in the same sort of way, like some sort of a good luck charm? Do we do the same? Where prayer can become, it becomes a matter of duty rather than a privilege before God himself. You know, as if like, if I do something for God by saying this prayer ritualistically, he'll do something for me. And we pray these words in the hope that if we do this, everything will work out all right. Everything will be all right. It's form, it's duty, but it's dry as dust. And when we delve into Nehemiah's prayer life, what do we see? You know, Nehemiah approaches God as a God who he knows with all his heart. He knows God is living. God is active. God is powerful enough to turn the situation around in Jerusalem. He says, he writes, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for death. And I was fasting and I was praying before the God of heaven. And the Hebrew word which Nehemiah uses here for prayer, it refers to the type of prayer which involves pleading. It involves emotion. It involves crying out to God. And some of you may think, I'm not too good at praying. I'm not articulate enough at praying. God's not asking you to be articulate. Sometimes the most deepest prayers, they come from the heart. God, help me. God, I'm in pain. God, I need your love right now. God, I don't know where you are right now. God, I'm hurting. And those simple prayers, heartfelt prayers, are what God looks for more than the articulate. And by comparing dates in chapter 1 and chapter 2, if you had a look at it, we know that such prayers of Nehemiah, they went on for four months. Four months. Four months crying out to God. Four months weeping and saying, God, we need you. What are you going to do? We need your help. We can't do this on our own. We need you. And it was four months before he lifted his hand to do anything. You know, COVID and lockdown certainly hit churches very, very hard. And it gave many churchgoers the opportunity to sit and think, well, do I really need church? Do I really need church? Well, I manage without it during lockdown. What's the benefit? Is there not something more beneficial that I could be doing on a Sunday morning than going to church? The days of going to church out of tradition have gone. The days of going to church just because my father and mother and my grandfather and my grandmother went, it's gone. Those days are gone. And when we need to give people a more substantial reason for being a part of this church, people here in Jerusalem, they've lost their heart. They've lost heart. And Nehemiah prays and weeps and fasts for four months, keeping going, God help us. There has to be a work of the Spirit of God. God help us. You know, during lockdown, I wondered to myself, is God giving us all through this pain, all through this confusion and disbelief of what was going on, is God giving us as a church an opportunity here? You know, many people being interviewed on television, I've watched more and more and more, were saying, you know, how the pandemic, although it was bad, it made them sit and think about what's really important in life, our families our health, 
and what wasn't important. And what is gut-wrenchingly important in life, church life? What, that, you know, maybe that's what we need to think about. What is the real important stuff and what's the frills that doesn't really matter? Are we praying when we pray for God to move in this place and move in our community? Are we praying for the same old, same old stuff? Are we praying for that which we're, we're familiar with, we're comfortable with? Or has God, has God taken this opportunity to shake the earth beneath us and give us the opportunity to do church in a new and creative ways, in, church, in ways that connect with people in our culture? And we pray, when we pray for the rebuilding, when we pray for the renewal of our church, what do we mean? Are we ready for it? Are we wanting to be a part of it? And you can put that in a more individual sense. Is your Christian faith, has it got to be a matter of routine, a matter of ticking the boxes? Or are you with Nehemiah ready to connect and say, God, I'm going to speak to you from the heart. And it might be an argument with you, God, and I might even lose my temper with you, God, but I'm going to be real with you. And those are the prayers that God wants. You know, John Knox, a Scottish reformer, he said, uh, oh, give me Scotland or I die. And I was thinking about this. Well, John Knox was Scottish, so that's why he's praying for his country. But here, is there any reason why Nehemiah should pray, God, give me Israel, give me Jerusalem, or I die? Nehemiah had been born in Persia. He was away from Jerusalem. In fact, as far as we know, he had never been in Jerusalem. He was now serving the king of Persia. Why disturb all of that, that good job? Why disturb it all? with going back to a broken city 800 miles away, and why work with a people that he did not know? And I want you to catch Christ in your heart this morning, to catch this thought that this reminds me of Jesus Christ. Why be bothered with us? Christ coming to earth for a broken people from a comfortable heaven to a war-torn earth, from God's presence into our presence, from the safety of heaven to be crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. Why would Christ do that? Why would Nehemiah pray for a people he doesn't even know back in Jerusalem? But it's because Christ, Nehemiah was a man who, whose heart was surrendered to God as Christ was. God's burdens became his burdens. God's heartbeat became his heartbeat. God's Jerusalem became Nehemiah's Jerusalem. Nehemiah begins to weep for them, and he begins to pray for them. He's a cupbearer to the king, but suddenly that's not so attractive now. His mission at this moment is to pray, just to pray before he would do anything. Four months on his knees before he would do anything. And he says, let your ear, God, be attentive. Open your eyes and hear the prayer of your servant. He doesn't want to take another step until he's got God's direction. You know, every potential that man made plan that he, that he may have had in his head grinds to a halt when Nehemiah seeks God's next step. But there are only four very short things. I was looking at ways that he prays. Let me just have four short ways. We don't, can't have the PowerPoint. No, it's not on. Oh, it's on there. Oh, it's not coming up. Oh, that's okay. Uh, it's not coming up here. That's ground. Um, first of all, Nehemiah understands who God is. I pray, verse 5, he says, I pray, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And what's important to understand 
who God is, even in your own life, in your own problems, in your own difficulties, knowing who God is, to know where you are in the scheme of things. You know, in recognizing what God's power, we recognize our weakness. In recognizing God's ability, we recognize our inability. Recognizing God as sovereign, we recognize our places as servants. God is on the throne. We are at his feet. In seeking God in prayer, it's important that we recognize who God is. You know, we, where we stay at in Avoca is a, it's called a happy cabin. <laughs> and, uh, it's lovely. It's this family who have extra land, and they dug out a lake, and a couple of Shetland ponies, and little ducks running about. And, and down by the lake, there's this hammock. And during that good weather, it was amazing. The stars and the sky were amazing. And I went out a couple of nights and just I lay, lying on the hammock, looking up at the stars. And when I looked up at the stars, it just made me feel so small and so insignificant and God so powerful and great. But secondly, Nehemiah understands who he is. He understands who God is. He understands who he is. It was the philosopher Socrates who said, know thyself. But how do we know ourselves? How can we know ourselves? Jeremiah writes that the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. We so easily deceive ourselves into believing that we're better than what we are, And it's only when we come to that place of understanding that our whole nature is corrupt, that our sinful motives and our desires are tainted. When we come to the end of ourselves, we realize without Christ, salvation is nothing more for us than a pipe dream. We need Christ to know who he is, to know who we are. And then, only then can we know ourselves. And Nehemiah recognizes and he acknowledges his own sin. And he says, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have badly missed the mark. He admits to his own sin, to his nation's sin. And it's important when we come to God that we recognize who we are. We recognize the power of God, the magnity of God, how he can do wonders but we recognize how small we are and the sinful condition of our own hearts. But thirdly, Nehemiah understands Scripture, and he uses it to direct his prayers. Can I really encourage you to bring a Bible with you on a Sunday morning? It's great that we can put the PowerPoint up, um, but I want you to have a Bible that we can turn to different references And I want you to check out what I'm saying is right, what I'm saying is true, and if it's not, then challenge me on it. I want you to get to know your Bible. Nehemiah, he prayed according to what he knew of God in the Scriptures. He he reminds God of what he said to Moses. Remember, God, what you said back then to Moses. In Leviticus 26, 33, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And yes, God, this is where we are. We have been scattered. We've been Babylon, Persia. We're far away from home. That's what's happened because of our unfaithfulness. But God, remember you also said, if you return to me, if you keep my commandments, if you do them, though some of you are cast out the farthest part of the heavens, as many of you are now, yet I'll gather you from there and I'll bring you back and I'll have you dwell again in Jerusalem. You know, we're here in this foreign land, God, because we've been unfaithful. We get that. But God, I want to remind you also of something else you said. You said that if we repented, that if we turned our hearts back to you, you would bring us back, you would embrace us, and you would bring us back to Jerusalem. And he actually uses the prayer that Moses prayed in Exodus 32. These are your servants. These are your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Yes, they've messed up. Yes, they've failed you miserably. But God, these are your people and you promised. God, you promised that if we come back to you, 
in faith and obedience that you'd unite us again with yourself. And isn't that a great lesson that we can learn? Because you might be here this morning and you might be having something hanging over your head that you feel bad about that happened maybe years ago. And you can't forgive yourself. God promises that when we ask forgiveness and when we turn to him, that he will restore you. But fourthly and finally, Nehemiah understands the need to surrender. Just let, let me say one more thing, just with that last point. I just have it in my brackets here from this morning. I really want, we need to know the word of God if we're going to pray according to God's promises. And it, the Bible is rich. It's burdened down with God's promises. I was sitting yesterday morning, I was thinking about coming back. I was sitting at the wee cabin, and I was sitting reading, and I just read this passage in Isaiah, and I was thinking about, you know, next this year, what we're going to do, and having the strength for it. And I read Isaiah 40, verse 29, he gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And they, I had that laid open on a wee table outside. And the next thing, I looked up, and there were 11 red kites flying above us. Now, it wasn't like on a string. Red kites are the same family of eagles. And uh, they were extinct in Ireland for many years, but just in the last, about the last 20 years, they've put some into Avoca, they've started to breed. And I thought, this is amazing. You know, I don't want to read into it too much, but reading about an eagle there and God just assuring me of his strength and this church of its strength, and then suddenly there's 11 kites, red kites, eagles, just swooning over the cabin. And it's beautiful, beautiful. I want you to get to know your, the Word of God. And the Word of God leads you to Christ, the living Word, and experience Him. Number four, then, just in closing, Nehemiah understands the need to surrender. You know, prayer involves two-way communication, asking and listening. Asking God and listening. Verse 11 Nehemiah says, let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant them mercy in the sight of this man. For four months, he's been wanting to know what am I meant to do about this situation. He's been crying, he's been weeping, he's burdened, but then he surrenders. Let this, your servant, that is the king, he's about to go in and see what the king can do to help him. Now, if the king sees Nehemiah even in a bad mood, he's the right to kill him straight off for dampening the mood. He says, let your servant prosper this day, I pray. Grant them this mercy in the sight of this man. He surrenders himself to God. He's, as to, he's available to be part of the solution. We often pray for things. God, do this, but send him or send her or make him do it or make her do it. He is willing as he prays, to be part of the solution to the answer to his prayer. Are we willing to hear God if he says, well, actually, you're the answer to your own prayer? Nehemiah recognizes his position. I've got access to the king. I'm the king's cupbearer. God may want to use me where I am to make a difference. And Nehemiah gives himself over to God, willing to be the answer to his own prayers. So prayer is not having our way with God. Someone once wrote and said, it is God having his way with us. God turning our hearts to him in his direction. Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm available? Like Isaiah, here am I, sent me. Here am I for my neighbors. Here am I for my friends, for my family. 
for my workmates, for my classmates. I'm available. Here I am. Use me. So Nehemiah, first of all, God understands. Or Nehemiah understands, sorry, who God is. Nehemiah understands the scriptures and prays according to them. Nehemiah understands the need to surrender and potentially be the answer to his own prayers. And Nehemiah understands who he is. I need you, God. I need you. Let's not do superficial prayers anymore. Say what's on your heart. God won't be offended. Pour it out. And see him move. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you're a God who, as one psalmist says, Lord, you bend down, you stoop down to hear us. Why? Because you care. You care about listening. You care about details in our lives. You care about burdens and problems and difficulties. You care about us when we're going through the biggest storm. Lord, you're there for us, and you want to hear. And I pray, Father, that you would guide us in anticipation over this next year. Lord, we want to see miracles in this place. We want to see you move by your Spirit amongst our young people, amongst our friends, amongst our families. We want to see you move, God. We thank you for those 28 young children that came to faith in Christ. We pray that they would move on with you, Lord, that someone would come along and just encourage them, whatever churches they go to, to help them develop their faith and to know that, uh, that Christ is their solid rock for the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, we're going to finish uh, with... Um, here I am, wholly available. Um, it's actually going to be, you know it.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love of God, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit, who is here to help us and strengthen us in all that we do, may they be with us now and forever. Amen.